Thanks for downloading this podcast from Brum Radio. For more programs, search our podcast page at brumradio.com. The following preview trailer is not suitable for viewing by persons of a nervous disposition. Switch off your television set immediately unless you are prepared to be really terrified. Oh! Have we got the video? Beware of illegal v- v- video nasty. How can anybody not like video? Ch- ch- cheers. Or Peter. Keep repeating. Research is taking place and it will show that these films not only affect young people, but I believe they affect adults as well. Groovy. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the film. In Brum, I love doing that singy bit. Hello, everyone, and welcome, welcome to Screen Brum here on Brum Radio. It's Friday. It's Friday, the eighth of September. It is today, while we're recording it anyway. It's twelve o'clock, and we are here in the heart of sunny Digbeth here in Birmingham, and we are talking films, TV, and all things with a screen. This is the Screen Brum Show, and we are very much hoping that you will enjoy our show today. Our theme is something which some it's one for the one for the mums and dads shall we say it's the vhs the video cassette tape i don't actually know what vhs stand for what was my first question actually um i may ask our guest what does vhs stand for it stands for vertical helical system that sounds less glamorous than <laughs> i expected vertical helical system the vhs cassette tape which was where home video watching began and arguably the whole Fandom, the whole idea of um, being able to collect films and uh, and have this kind of uh, vault that people have and people still to this day have uh, began with VHS. Um, so we are here talking about that for the next two hours, and we would like to hear from you. So tweet us. You can tweet us at Screen Brum. You can contact us on the Screen Brum um, Facebook page. Just go to Facebook and search for Screen Brum. We also have a telephone. We have uh, a telephone you can call us on 0121 633 And you will be answered by uh, either Karis or Cara. We are blessed with two producers in the studio today. So um, someone will be able to take your call. Um, and you will want to do that because later on we are going to have a competition the competition that we have relates to the opening sequence that we had which we will come back to later but we will play that again so um, listen out for that right that is enough of me talking I'm going to introduce the others in the studio as well as Cara and Karis who are our producers we have our regular uh, contributor Mr. Tim Wilson good afternoon one and all Um, I'll do that again with your microphone turned on Ooh, that's spooky, isn't that it? That sounds a lot better now. Yes. Hello. How is everyone today? We're all good, I hope. I hope. Mm. And now we have our um, our third and final very special guest here in the studio who insisted on having his own theme tune. So we're going to play that <laughs> for him now. This might give you a clue. Anyone who might know what that is, it is 
from the theme tune to some music from the Omian. It's called Damien's Tantrum, um, and that is because Damien is here with us. Hello, Damien. Hello. You're not the Antichrist, though, right? Not your shit, no. Okay. (laughs) I just posted an appropriate gif from my Twitter account. (laughs) Um, Yes, it is all for me, as they say. So, so Damien, you are uh, Damien uh, Hyde, and you are a... Let's face let's face it. Is it geek? Is that yeah, the right just word? Geek. To, to, yes, to have a passion for something. Yeah, I'd say uh, I'd say that's definitely um, what I, how I would describe my love for videos and VHS. Now, what is interesting being radio, we can't tell this, is that you are a uh, a younger man. You are in your twenties, I guess. I'm thirty two. Okay, I was well, born in eighty five, but yeah. Okay, but these are not things that you necessarily grew up with not at all no no Um, no. i was minus three at the kind of age when they like the kind of burst into the uk so um i would have been growing up towards the the latter end Mm -hmm. of of that craze and then in my teens when it kind of finally died out so what is it about vhs that interests you Oh, I can, it's all sorts. It's the aesthetic. It's uh, the marketing that they uh, used to use to kind of get folks to um, to to purchase and rent these titles. Uh, it's it's the, the, all the way down to the, the the smell, the way they handle the click of the uh, the kind of tape reel and spool as you as you hold them. Uh, yeah, there's lots and lots of things, and also it was the kind of medium of choice that I had as I grow up. So, being uh, fascinated with the moving image, watching cartoons that I used to buy from a quick save when I was like four, five, six that then turned into me being fascinated with horror films and 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 getting given a big bag of um of these different titles from uh, my dad who'd won them in a poker game at the local <laughs> pub. So that's where it all stems from. Okay. And um, and if you aren't aware of what a VHS is, um a vertical helical all video home system. Ah. But the technical term is vertical helical system. Okay. Video home system yeah. makes more sense. The um, These were a uh, literally a cassette tape mm-hmm. that you played in a machine at home. I know this might sound ridiculous to some people, <laughs> but um, Karis, um, our producer who walked in the studio today, just looked blankly when we started talking about VHS um, and she's too young to remember them so if you aren't aware what they are we'll tweet out an image of a VHS tape every so often your machine would chew them up and would spit out this black tape all over your uh, lounge floor and you would have to try and spend hours trying to re-spool it with a tiny (laughs) tiny little screwdriver I remember having a tiny little oh you had them with yes yes yes. because you had to adjust the the tracking on them did you have a spring did you ever have a spring loaded machine a top loader I didn't oh, know oh we had a top loader oh, I would have know, I we still like one of those names oh they're so ace <laughs> <laughs> that we had one at school I remember that when we were you know we would get the video and we'd watch it at school they were very exciting this is not interesting for our audience however <laughs> um, we as well as the show please do let us know your VHS memories so tweet us in uh, call us up let us know you know the first VHS that you ever saw, um, what your first recorder was. Um, the first one, the first film that we ever got from the video shop when I was a kid was um, Witness, the Harrison Ooh, Ford film. Um, and we also got um, King Solomon's Mines, which was a hey. Indiana Jones knockoff <laughs> with um, uh, uh, Tom Selleck <laughs> at the same time. Um, but um, we were quite late to getting uh, a video. Um, Richard Chamberlain, wasn't it? Uh, I think it was Tom Selleck. I might be wrong. Sharon Stone was in it. Oh. Very young Sharon Stone. No, actually, I'm not telling like it was High Road to China. High Road to China was. That's what I mean yeah. with Tom Selleck. Anyway, still, um, still, hey, <laughs> yes. So let us know. Let us know what you think, as well as ourselves in the studio. We also have a really exciting interview with, um, a, well, a doyen really of the 
the video sleeve. And this is someone that you've interviewed. Um, yes, David. yes, very much so. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Graham Humphreys uh, very kindly let me into his home, fed me tea, and uh, let me um, be a bit of a fanboy and show him things that are uh, uh, pieces of his work that I've loved for many, many years. And he's designed. He's uh, he painted a lot of the the, the front covers of these videos. Didn't yes, he? yeah. Uh, initially, he created the Evil Dead uh, front cover, but he's also worked on Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Night of the Creeps. But he he's essentially he's created images that have been kind of um, 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 linked to the genre and, and kind of helped or was, was key in the genre booming in the early 80s. Fantastic. Well, we've got uh, some parts of an interview uh, that you can hear about that. We also, very excitedly, have a competition. We have a signed piece of artwork, uh, a booklet of his collected work, yes. uh, which is signed kindly by Graham Humphreys, um, and we're going to have a competition. And you can win that. Um, we will just give you the name of the competition because it's very exciting. Uh, this is a first for us having a game show here on <laughs> Screen Brom. It is called what? Carver or Barver? Carver or Barver. Uh, and we're also going to be playing, as ever, the very best of music from these films. So let's kick off with The Damned. Um, and what, is, what film is this one from? Uh, this is a, a damn track written especially for um, um, a special episode of The Young Ones where they, they get their first VHS player, which we'll, I think we'll hear a clip from that later. Oh, let's do it. What do you mean you're not going to bed tonight? Michael and I are going to indulge in an all-night orgy of sex and violence. <laughs> what, in the drawing room? Yeah. First, we're going to have sex with the headless corpse of the virgin astronaut. Let <laughs> uh, the carpet get awfully sticky. <laughs> it's a video nasty. It's a carpet farty. <laughs> There we are, the young ones talking about video nasties, which is very much part of what we're going to be talking about today. This whole moral panic when these things came out, there was a whole kind of, oh my gosh, it's corrupting our youth, minds are going to melt as a result of these films. And there was very a big, there was, there was laws made and there was uh, speeches in Parliament, it was a big deal, wasn't it? Yes, uh, huge, you had all sorts of, of crazy kind of things said at the time, there's a Conservative MP named Martin Bright that uh, as quoted as saying, you heard it in the intro, uh, that these would not only affect children but also animals and dogs. So, <laughs> quite a crazy uh, time. Yes, yes. Um, it's, it's hard to remember. So, the history of VHS. When I, mean, I seem to remember these things coming about early 80s. Early 80s was the domestic kind of market that they, they, they uh, we'd started to choose or the, the, VHS had been chosen over Betamax, so obviously all the units became a lot cheaper, and then the video cassette players became cheaper compared to. So uh, two years before that, I think it was thirteen hundred pounds you'd pay for a, v- a VHS player. Uh, yeah, thirteen hundred pounds you'd pay for a VHS player, uh, and in fact, I think David Bowie is reported to have bought Mick Jagger one for <laughs> his birthday. Uh, okay, and in return he got given a scarf, which is uh, a bit rubbish. <laughs> um, well, I don't know if David Bowie gave me a scarf, I'd be quite <laughs> happy, or Mick Jagger, frankly. And it's. Um, you mentioned their Betamax. Betamax was a kind of rival format. Yes, that was the, the industry standard. So TV uh, would use that a lot. And that was uh, literally, that was sort of created by Sony. And they were going to be, uh, or intended to be, the forerunners of, of the home Betamax kind of revolution. And is is there a, a, a subculture of Betamax collectors? or I, I'm sure there is. There are a lot of people that do collect mm. them, more so now for, uh, for kind of um, antique uh, purposes, I assume. Um, but, but they were actually better quality. Mm. Um, the only downsides are that they only held an, an hour of, ter- of, um, of information. So most films being longer than that, obviously, 
that helped VHS. Uh, uh, and also they had, <coughs> pardon me, uh, yet the cost to kind of make them and distribute stuff, which is one of the key things as to why VHS was so popular mm-hmm. and, and the fact that it, it boomed so many kind of genres. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So early 80s, it kicks off in the UK. Yes. Um, now, when they came out, they were... There was no kind of regulation of them, was there? There was no sort of uh, law? Not at all. There's no, there's, there's no classification whatsoever. Uh, you initially had uh, people like Thorn EMI, uh, who um, owned a chain of shops uh, and also produced their own kind of Ferguson player. They would they essentially bring out smaller distribution labels and smaller production companies uh, popped up, uh, purely because the big, big companies had this, they, they didn't like the fact that people could watch them in their homes, they didn't like the fact that they could be copied and given away uh, for, for kind of free. Uh, so they put a lot of, um, they clamped down on a lot of their titles being used and released. So because of this, a film that we talked about earlier, King Solomon's Mines, being a knockoff of Indiana Jones, uh, um, uh, a lot of these films were spawned. You had, you had endless versions of Star Wars, endless versions of Indiana Jones uh, that would go straight to the video market. And, and the actual originals weren't available? And not, no, not up oh. to a certain point. There's a guy in America um, who uh, I think initially bought um, uh, a set of 10, 15 titles from Fox Home Video. He bought things like Alien, uh, to 20,000 uh, Leagues Under the Sea, these kind of things. And he realised that there was such a market for this that he would start to uh, rent out spaces and, and um, rent these things to people. So each unit cost at that time about £80. And, the, and so that that was the thing, wasn't it? You didn't really buy these tapes. No, 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 you no, invented them. not at all. Yeah, um, and and the spawned the video shop, mm. uh, and then at the time people saw it as this huge cash cow. They saw it as a way to uh, to expand their business and make uh, uh, a lot um, a lot of bunts uh, to the point where you would have garages. Um, uh, kind of shoe shops. I was telling the story about uh, hairdressers. Um, a guy called Simon Powell, who's a, a local writer, he used to go and get his uh, his dad used to get his hair cut, and he'd go in the back and he'd look at things like scanners and uh, and rabid and rent them from there. Yeah. So yeah, it was a uh, it was it was a big kind of um, a big kind of industry for a, a lot of people, although it lasted only a short amount of time. And then the the thing that that kind of well impacted on that was then this moral panic we talked about. Yes. Was there a kind of regulatory clampdown? Is that what happened? That is exactly what happened. So you had uh, uh, the VRA, VRA Act, the Video Recordings Act, was brought into play in 1983, uh, 84. That's correct, yeah. Uh, and so the, the big moral panic, the idea that these kids were going to get their kind of minds corrupted by these films, uh, caused people like the BBFC to be brought around. And at that point, a lot of things started to get... Um, banned in this country and there were there were seizure squads that used to get sent round uh, to places uh, video shops around the country and if you were in a situation where you had copies of The Evil Dead I Spit in Your Grave um, um, Nightmares and a Damaged Brain is also another great title uh, you would get arrested and wow. the gentleman who owned a company called New World uh, 2000 uh, Distribution Company he was the first person I think his name's David David Graham Hamilton uh, to actually do uh, prison time he got six months for peddling that exact title. Mm. Wow. So what was it about these films? I mean, these films, you know, nowadays they don't seem particularly, you know, The Evil Dead is regarded to some extent as a, as a classic, isn't it? So what was it about them? Very much so. Um, I think at the time you, you were in a situation where they had these set pieces. They had, you know, children hadn't been, or children, teenagers, young adults, uh, hadn't been in a situation where they could get hold of 
tiles such as this before. So we were in a situation in the UK where we had three channels, uh, broadcast channels. You had cinema clubs that would show certain types of tiles, but very specific, like you said, there'd be, be one film per week within your local cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could also buy eight reel uh, tapes, which contain kind of chunks and extracts of certain films. But the uh, advent of VHS meant that there were a whole slew of titles that you'd uh, A, never heard of, or B, were never able to get kind of your hands on, that you could now rent. Uh, and, and a lot of this um, included horror and scenes of, you know, decapitation, <laughs> gore, yeah. uh, uh, all sorts right. of things. Cannibal, Cannibal Holocaust probably being one of the most um, infamous. Driller uh, Killer as well, right? Driller Killer by Albert Ferrara. Yeah, yeah it was, was another infamous... Uh, very iconic <laughs> imagery on the front, which is literally um, a, drill a man with a drill in his head. <laughs> and I think there's as much horror in the actual uh, artwork as much as anything else. It was what you know, evoked a lot of controversy. Well, more than just as much of the content. That right? is a so good point. I and mean, we'll, 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 we'll come on to the um, Graham Humphreys interview shortly because yes. he has some really interesting things to say about, about how they did that and how, you know, the the whole kind of marketing of these things they were just incredibly lurid these covers weren't they they were just yes absolutely just there to and and, and you were showing us some examples earlier which maybe we can tweet out of <laughs> of all these videos which have got pictures on the front that are not in the film at all no, or no, even no, related no. to <laughs> or, or very much imply that uh, that they're related to other films yes, you know so there's, uh, there's someone looks a lot like freddy krueger <laughs> on a film called nightmare nightmare, nightmare vacation yeah. in which they put the the main protagonist and then jason Voorhees and freddy krueger on the front although they have got no affiliation with the film whatsoever <laughs> uh, intriguing isn't it fair to say also that what what was a result of this was that films that were mainstream releases or films that were out in the 70s weren't getting vhs release because of not at all not because at of their because they were getting lumped in with the same the same kind of uh, quote unquote video nasty. quote video nasty tag yes line. yes to the point where we took um, um, everything obviously had to then go through the BBFC and it took uh, I think Fox Home Video um, started to bring out a lot more of their titles kind of late eighties but eighty eight you'll find a lot of their stuff was released Aliens um, um, Predator that kind of thing but, um, but yeah you wouldn't have found a copy of The Exorcist for example not for a very long time not for no. a very long time I think it was something like two thousand even then that was two thousand and one two something yeah like that. I remember buying it from blockbuster video uh, in its uncut kind of uh-huh. uh, complete yeah. um, I remember watching it um, someone had a copy in the 90s on video um, when I was a student and remember watching it and um, pausing it you know there's these moments where there's these subliminal images that flash up for a brief moment in The Exorcist and uh, pausing it just coincidentally at that moment so you're watching a scene and we just paused it and then there was this horrific kind of image and it was shaking as they did when they paused then and so it looked like it was coming out of the so I remember I literally shrieked and hid in the kitchen for the rest of the film Um, regular listeners will know I am not a great one for horror films this whole conversation is making me uncomfortable actually sometimes the actual um, because of the quality of the HS, it only adds adds to that feeling of of, uh, nausea (laughs) well with a film like Cannibal Holocaust uh, that's um, um, built with the intention of of creating this this very real sense of kind of verisimilitude it's one of the first well it's the first found footage footage, uh, movie exactly so if you've got like a a 10th generation copy of Cannibal Holocaust and someone puts it on you don't know what it is the first thing you're going to think is that this is actual uh, you know this is real this happened and and yeah I watched that I watched that the first time I watched that was at uni about 98 and I was still uh, having nightmares. 
I was. Excellent. I thought it was very convincing. It's I mean, I knew. Troubling it, to know. this day. Right, it's, well, it's, it's just a troubling experience. I'm, I'm going to move on because I'm getting scared. I'm going to play some music. <laughs> it's unfortunately possibly not going to cheer anyone up because it is music from the film we have been just talking about, which is The Evil Dead. Yeah. Uh, and this particular track is Dawn Incantation. Good call. Uh, composed by Joseph Laduca. <laughs> Uh, um, that started off nice, but started to get a bit scary. So I'm fading that out there. That was um, that was the track is called Dawn Incantation, and it's from um, the Evil Dead. And uh, this is a film you wanted to to touch on, wasn't it? Uh, very much so. Uh, it's definitely one of the most infamous. It was definitely a, it was a poster kind of boy for for the whole scene, really. Uh, which is a shame because um, um, it, it's a great film. You know, it's wonderful cinematography. Uh, uh, you know, Bruce Campbell storms it through. Um, uh, but essentially, it was one of the things that got kind of pinned and tagged as these these, these awful kind of sets of images. Uh, but the, the it, other interesting thing about it is the fact that it kind of made um, Palace Pictures uh, or made Palace Video, who were, for me, always one of the more, more interesting British labels. So they, they brought, I think 1982, they went over to the American film market kind of uh, distribution um, 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 whatever you call it, oh. the thing, yes. Uh, they saw Evil Dead and they realised its potential. Uh, it hadn't really done well in the US at all. So they, they brought it over here. They got in contact with Graham Humphreys. They created brand new um, kind of artwork and that was their first release. Um, it was the first also in the UK, little nice fact, it's also the first theatrical and video release uh, simultaneously. So they oh. took the film on tour, um, starting in Glasgow, going all the way down to London, creating these uh, weird um, kind of marketing tools such as um, answer three questions correctly on this postcard and you can win a year's worth of meat or £500, <laughs> pounds, uh, all cool, cool things like this. Um, and, and, and from that point onwards, obviously, Graham Humphreys became this, um, although he doesn't think so, but he became this kind of very infamous character within the horror world. There were also, in fact, I have, um, there's a, author called Andrew David Barker and I've just been reading this book which is about a gang of kids on, on in pursuit of a copy of the Evil Dead um, and there's a little section that I'd like to read from that about the uh, the kind of the mystery that surrounded it at the time okay so, right. so he, they're just in a video shop that's about to be raided actually and this is uh, set in 1983 so uh, I looked at the Evil Dead video box which still sat on the counter the cover was wonderful coloured in vibrant purples greens and reds it wasn't like any other video covers. The artwork had a kind of homemade quality to it, but was striking nevertheless. It put me in mind of the old EC comics from the 50s, which I'd seen in horror books and magazines. The Stephen King quote dominated one half of the picture, and a vivid green witch, or Kandarian demon, hands outstretched, appeared to lunge towards us. She was awesome. Below this was a skull, and in bold red lettering, The Evil Dead. I saw the logo for Palace Pictures on the uh, right-hand corner. It was quite a cover. Now, for me, that perfectly kind of sums up the uh, the majesty of these and many other of these kind of video covers and these films um, and, and all the promise that they had. You know, they kind of lure you in with these fantastic images, uh, which uh, uh, essentially, in the Evil Dead's case, they, the kind of film does live up to those, but a lot of the others didn't at all, and we'll, we'll hear about that from Graham. Let's, sure let's listen to him now. Um, a little bit of an advance warning coming up as well of what you're about to hear. Whenever you rent or buy a video, you need to be sure that the film you choose is suitable for the audience at home. To help you, there are certificates given to films which tell you broadly what the film is like. 
This film has been classified 18, which means it's for adults only. It's an offence for your shop to supply an 18 video to anyone under that age, so don't ask them to break the law. An 18 film will certainly have an adult theme and might well contain strong scenes of sex or violence, which could be quite graphic. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. The video certificates are there to give you the chance to make an informed choice. They allow you to have peace of mind and be entertained. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the film. How do you see your role within the industry? Uh, well, I guess I provide the face of the product. That would be the sort of, um, I guess, the business speak okay. um, part of it. But uh, I think my job is to, um, as with any posters, to sort of entice, I guess, though. It's like, you know, selling sweets to kids in many yeah. ways. <laughs> look a bit like a child catcher. Um, yeah, the idea is to, uh, I guess, take elements from a film and make them, you know, make the film look ex as exciting as possible by, you know, rooting through the content and um, just lifting out stuff that you think will actually uh, make a, a great cover or a poster without trying to give away the plots if you can yeah. back then you, you, you had to um, just be wary that you want to you know, hold back information so that you know, people weren't going to just um, you know, kind of know what the end was going to be as such and what yeah, the books yeah. was going to look like and all that nonsense which is odd because actually I think before that in the 70s it was the other way around that actually you would have everything that was going to happen on the poster basically I mean behind me we've got people Hakatoa, Easter Java uh, one of the first disaster movies and throwing okay. absolutely everything into that image yeah. and you know the same with um, you know the Poseidon Adventure Tarring Inferno Earthquake yeah. just threw everything at those posters so you, you, you know there was nothing to hide at all yeah, well, well it's kind of I suppose it goes back to Vaudeville almost and um, perhaps freak shows in a yes. way so you see the yeah. pictures what you're going to get and of course the other thing is that quite often the picture would be better than the actual <laughs> You know, what you actually did get, yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, with painting, you can take, you know, have much more license to um, represent um, the imagery. And, yeah. uh, you know, again, that's part of the reason why, you know, illustrators would be employed to do the VHS covers because, you know, exactly. part of the films were rubbish and, yeah, the effects were not, you know, usually very good. So, <laughs> yeah. the makeup would be terrible. And so, you know, the idea with the painting is that you can just, you know, you just mask over all of that and actually just, you know, create the illusion of something far better. So that was the first part of our interview with Graham Humphreys. Very interesting stuff on there. We've got some more stuff. We've actually got a much bigger chunk of interview. Uh, we've spent quite a long time with him. So we're going to yes. produce a special podcast edition. So if you want to hear more from Graham Humphreys, don't worry. We're going to have a much fuller version that you can download and listen to him talking about. And there's loads of interesting stuff about all, well his whole career and some interesting stuff. And he's still working in the field today, isn't he? Uh, it's totally fascinating. Yeah, he's a he's he's, he's a true uh, a, a true mensch. He had kind of three uh, periods of his career really he had the the palace pictures he did a lot more uh, titles with those one of them being probably the most famous was the nightmare on Elm street cover which is the blue um, um uh, blue artwork with nancy in the center and the huge kind of overarching claws uh, above her and um, um he actually speaks about i'm not sure if we're going to play it today but he speaks about the sequel to that being that his favorite if there was one piece that was going to get sent into space and, uh, and kind of be kept forever. He'd, he'd like it to be Freddy's Revenge. And if you look at them both, hopefully we can put them on, on Twitter, uh, side by side or something. Um, one of them's very subdued with Freddy, obviously at the time no one knew who he was. He wasn't really this kind of 
horror superstar at this point so he's like kind of cast back in the shadows and then within the second one when everyone knew exactly who this person was he's very much kind of celebrated and he's chosen the, the, the opening scene which if anyone's seen it is the best thing in Freddy's Revenge which is the kind of the buzz scene where the ground falls away and this this little yellow school American school buzz is left teetering on the edge of this below there's this huge kind of volcano uh, um, kind of molten lava style cavern Fantastic. Uh, so, yeah. I, I, I can't claim to have seen any of these. I did, <laughs> again, uh, one of my school friends did have um, a Nightmare on Elsie on video, and I did watch the opening credits and then went home. <laughs> uh, there's a pattern emerging here, I know, but there oh, we go. Oh, bless you, sir. Um, so we're going to be talking about your experiences. So we'd love to know your experiences, what your local video shop was like. I worked in our local video shop, and it was great because we could put whatever we want on, and then always had to pause it if it was a bit dodgy when someone came in. Um, what were your first um, videos were? We've had some great uh, tweets in already. B-Film, hello to B-Film. They've mentioned that their first was the first big release was Raiders of the Lost Ark in its black in plastic black box. Plastic yeah. uh, Liz Burden, hello Liz, has said uh, Lethal Weapon. Um, we've also uh, Beef Film has said this is this is Rob from Beef Film I think hello Rob um, if he hadn't been so corrupted by VHS copies of Rabid the Brood the Evil Dead <laughs> and the Warriors which Warriors doesn't sound like an e- a video nasty to me but I wouldn't be a film professor now so you've got a lot to answer for Graham Humphreys awesome. yes. um, and we've had a nice one from uh, HTF Media as well saying they think they saw a pirate version of ET. On a neighbor's oh, video that was player. that was one of the biggest uh, pirated. Yeah, that and Terminator Two. Oh. Uh, everyone who saw that oh, yeah. initially um, was it was a copy that they'd had from. I knew people who had copies <laughs> yeah. of both those films. Oh, I, someone uh, someone gave me a copy of Aliens, um, and uh, that um, that was a you know a very much uh, a moment in my life. That Game over, man. Uh, I had to forward wine past <laughs> parts of it. I was only 25 at the time. Um, and uh, thank you again. Um, we're talking earlier on about the idea that some of these videos can get lumped in. So things were called, you know, quote-unquote video nasties that maybe um, didn't deserve the title, not that they ever did anyway. So one of those examples someone's mentioned was um, Phil Kaufman's The Wanderers. Um, okay. got lumped in with, with gang films. Um, at the time so that was a, a danger a guess danger of, of all this stuff but um, yeah let us know what your first let us know about your video shop your local video shop whether it was a, a barber's or a, in my case the co-op is where you would go <laughs> and you could peruse you just look at the backs um, and uh, the first DVD you either bought or rented um, that would be, sorry not DVD video video God, keeping up with Keep the it up, come on. Um so video <laughs> shops what was your I mean, did you did you ever go into a video shop being in mind you're so young uh, yes we had um, a kind of a bit of a ritual which is every every Friday night you'd go get taken mm. up by my dad about 7 o'clock um, we'd go we had a place called Video Vision which is quite video near Video Vision there I were, love it there were four in the, four in the town uh, well four around us kind of Kidderminster, Stourbridge uh, Wensbury and Tipton uh, sorry in Dudley uh, so we always had um, for, um, for our listeners around the world those are glamorous spots here glam- are beautiful in places in, in, in the black country uh, and yeah Video Vision had this like glorious two big uh, white ticks and everything in there was either the walls were red velvet the, the floor was this cheap rigid red carpet um, um, and yeah it was a kind of bastion of everything grubby and and kind of inane and things that you shouldn't be watching um but yeah the, the, the one in particular in Dudleyport had a horror section that was kept away from everything else in the store um and it's a right round the corner so when you went in there on your own and you couldn't hear anything else that happened so it used to um uh, consistently terrify me every single time they also i think had a staff room above so you'd go in there 
and freak yourself out looking at a copy of like Chopping Mall or or Cataclysm, uh, and then you would hear bump, 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 and you would just run. <laughs> you run straight back into the side of a your uh, of uh, my dad. Yeah, yeah, and go home with the Goonies or something. A bit go, more. I think I remember distinctly asking my auntie once if I could rent Ghoulies Three. Ghoulies go to college, and she was uh, <laughs> Ghoulies go to college. Ghoulies go to college. I don't remember Ghoulies. that one. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's the, the third of four films, um, and she was a bit taken aback. But I explained it. It's all it's all tomato sauce. None of it's real, uh, and she kind of let me have it in the end. Uh, it's all very tongue in cheek. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, what, my first video shop experience was the video shop I say I worked in. Um, I remember before that, I remember going in there, and there was used to be some levels. You know, there was eighteen, but the teacher, the, the teacher, the staff woman there always used to say, "You have to really be eighteen to get this one." <laughs> uh, there, there, there seemed to be there seemed to be sub levels within uh, within that. <laughs> <laughs> it is I funny, isn't it? And also, how much you could get away with getting out, even though you weren't the age mm. of. As long as your mum was with you, mm. they let you take anything. Yeah, away. I used to. The uh, lovely ladies at um, um, uh, Army Street Television used to let me have titles early on a Sunday night as well, because they knew how, how kind of infatuated I was with uh, film. Uh, and they'd let me have it before it came out on the Monday. And I remember watching Nothing to Lose with Tim Robbins, and I ran all the way home because they'd let me have this. And it's a fifteen. I was only about eleven. So it was God funny. Bless them. I don't want to get him anyone put in jail but yeah god bless them <laughs> one of the things I, I, I think I talked last time about video action which is the name of my video action yes I like that. and you know all the horror films were given a top shelf treatment so you know the kids couldn't reach the, uh, mm. the goody nature yes. of but, uh, one of the things that was really funny is if I did su- uh, suggest to mum to take out something which was uh, of a higher rating than my age given yeah. I was probably about 7 or 8 and I wanted to take out a 15 or something Goodness like that me. <gasps> um, <laughs> and uh, the guy used to the guy at the desk used to give a kind of a description just to reassure mum it's a 15 but it just has a couple of uses of bad language and one That's little right. one nice. scene of uh, bloody violence <laughs> um, and I was reassuring to mum look I've seen Robocop it's fine Robocop's quite disturbing <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that um, that we've had a tweet in from the Outward Film Network, hello uh, Outward Film Network, they've mentioned as well um, for the film fan and the video shop was the old posters. They were talking about getting the old posters and taking them home. Oh, the yeah, video posters were well, really exciting. A full-size cutout yes. of Mel, Mel, <laughs> Mel Gibson or something. That, that, you know, there was always someone who who who, divvied, who bagsied that, but you could always go in and try and get the, the, that. You, would, you, was, you were able to, in VideoVision, write your um, membership number, if you got there first, on the back of the cardboard. And if uh, they saw a bit of, like, four numbers in marker, they would let you, they would ring you up at the end of uh, its use and kind of give it to you. Uh, yeah. I, I had Get Shorty in my house for so long. I don't like the film, really, but I had John Travolta and Danny DeVito looking at me for a long period in my youth. That's not something you want to wake up uh, <laughs> with, frankly. Um, let's have uh, a little bit more music and we're going to come back um what we're going to do uh, shortly is we're going to be getting into our competitions we've actually got two um two quizzes for you today the first one is that we have got um well we played our introduction earlier do you want to explain yes. the um, questions yes so uh, we had a bit of a mishmash of the kind of things that we're going to be talking about today video nasty with martin bright talking about children and dogs um but within that 30 second intro there was actually three um, VHS uh, distribution label idents uh, that you could hear um, and if anyone could actually get those and name the three companies that I've kind of snuck into there then we have this lovely beautiful kind of illustrational uh, booklet um, of Graham Humphrey's work that's also signed that we, we, can, uh, we can give away as a prize Fantastic. Well, good prize. We're going to play that now. So what we want to do is you need to, to tweet in your reply um, and tweet it to at 
Screen Brum. Of course, if you're not on Twitter, don't worry. You can call us 0121 533 That's 0121 533 Going to play it once now. Then we're going to go into a little bit of a musical interlude, and then we'll play it again. Okay, so ears at the ready. So what you're trying to do here is identify... The companies, the yes, yes. So there's there's the music from three different identities. Okay, so have a listen to this. The following preview trailer is not suitable for viewing by persons of a nervous disposition. Switch off your television set immediately, unless you are prepared to be really terrified. Oh, have we got the video? Beware of illegal v- video nasty. How can anybody not like video chips or beta? Keep repeating. Research is taking place, and it will show that these films not only affect young people, but I believe they affect dogs as well. Groovy. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the film. You'd be amazed to hear that that uh, prog track there goes on for t- a full ten and a half minutes. <laughs> but we're not, I'm afraid, going to have time for that. Keep it playing in the background. Let's carry on. Um, and that is from a film called uh, Contamination or Alien Terror. Um, and this is interesting because this is sort of around the time that Alien has been out on the cinema, but isn't out on video. 1978 was uh, Alien, is that correct? Uh, 1979, perhaps. But this was came out in 1980. Yes, mm. director video um, um, rip off. Uh, a, a slew of Alien films actually um, became kind of came out. There's a film called Inseminoid, which was also an Alien rip off. Um, Alien Terror. Uh, and yeah, it's it, it's quite it's a, basically a sequence of, of people exploding, with uh, a <laughs> Scottish actor named Ian McCulloch, not the guy from Echo and the Bunnymen, um, and uh, 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 looking very concerned, and and then these these kind of very ominous green eggs that didn't move, but if you were in the within the kind of vicinity of them, eventually you would explode, and they they had this this they made this noise which said it got a kid to. Morrissey with toothache, just kind of <laughs> the constantly just going ah, <laughs> ah, ah, and it's just repetitive. repetitive. Morrissey with toothache sounds like one of the most terrifying things I've ever heard. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, so it's interesting. So these were uh, people desperate wanted to watch Alien, they couldn't, so they watched Inseminoid and Inseminoid and, and, and kind of cheaper, cheaper uh, knockoffs. But but as with a lot of these titles, there was a little bit more allure because you had this this kind of innate grubbiness and, and, and kind of nastiness that, that, that came along with something that you didn't know literally or, anything about. Or, or to never. put another word, cheapness. Cheapness, <laughs> yes. I, I like to call it character. Yes, that's right. Or, that's or, right. or being, yeah, yeah, character. We'll go with that. Okay, so, yeah, so that's interesting. So, you know, it sounds like the, the production companies to some extent missed a trick or they were slow out of the marks. You know, there was a market for this stuff and it was being met by, as ever, you know, Clever. Underground, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, almost definitely. There was, there was all of a sudden there was this channel for kind of unheard voices and unheard stories to to, to be made, and, and out of that you got some very very strange voices. There, there's a filmmaker called Jim Monroe who made a film called Street Trash, which uh, once again is essentially a set uh, a, a sequence of set pieces of people melting um, um, in New York in kind of Brooklyn, all shot on location, um, but within there there's some of the most odd scenes that you, you, you're ever likely to come across one of them being uh, in the, the final th- uh, kind of act you get the main an- uh, antagonist gets his head and shoulders taken off by a gas canister 
and his dismembered head is sitting on the floor and with his last kind of moments of consciousness he chooses to look up a skirt of a girl that passes uh, over him and it's 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 things like that uh, moments like that you will never see in in, in kind of mainstream hollywood <laughs> and some some would say that's a good that's thing, a good I'm, thing. Not, <laughs> I'm not going to uh, point any fingers um we're going to be playing we've got um, some more parts of um graham humphrey's interview to play but uh, before we do that again we're going to play you um, the little montage that uh, that Damien put together for us, which is including these three introductory uh, sequences from videos. And if you are able to detect who those are, you can win the Graham Humphreys signed art booklet. So I'm going to play it again for you right now. The following preview trailer is not suitable for viewing by persons of a nervous disposition. Switch off your television set immediately, unless you are prepared to be really terrified. Oh! Have we got the video? Beware of illegal v- video nasty. How can anybody not like video? Keep repeating. Research is taking place, and it will show that these films not only affect young people, but I believe they affect dogs as well. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the film. Father. There we are. Oh, Carver. <laughs> That's it. Now, Tim, Tim is coming up with our jingle for our new game show, which we're going to be playing shortly. You should probably record me saying it, and then you can use it every week. It's time for Barber or Carver. We just have to be in the studio every week when we do it. To okay. be honest with you, I'm not sure we're going to do it every week. This may be a one-off. Barber. Um, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, sorry, sorry to... Um, alienate everyone who hasn't necessarily been listening from the start that's going to be a competition we're going to have later on but the one that we were, t- we're still waiting for your responses to remember you can tweet us at Screen Brum or 01216 let us know if you can identify any of those company idents those warnings from that video montage at the beginning um, and you can also if you go onto YouTube and search um, for Screen Brum uh, and VHS you will find um, a video of that, yes. um, um, which might give you some clues. Actually, now I think about it, but um, essentially, yes, it might give you some clues. But also, it has actually don't do that. <laughs> do it afterwards because it's great. Um, and uh, thanks a lot, Damien, for putting that together. So we've still got lots more coming up. You're listening here on Brum Radio to the Screen Brum Show, and we're going to be having more of our interview with uh, Graham Humphreys, the um, designer of the Evil Dead video sl- uh, sleeve and so forth and we also love to hear more of your first ever video rental stroke ownerships and also what your local video shop was like so now you are interested in how these things are marketed almost as much as you are of the films aren't you very much so i, th- I think it's i think it's fascinating um with the amount of choice that you had going into a store i mean i remember video vision had Shelves that were thirty titles up, and then about about uh, eighty to hundred uh, kind of wide. So you needed something that would that would stick out, and, and then where you would get kind of take your um, capture your imagination. Uh, so the th- kind of things that people did, we've we've kind of been talking about it earlier. Is there's a company called uh, Iver Film Services who were a distributor. They actually made their logo an Oscar, a uh, little Oscar shaped. Uh, um, golden statue, so that you potentially would be <laughs> would be convinced that this film had some kind of you know gravitas or uh, or quality to it. So you think that blood zombies would be was possibly the best film? Best film, yeah, the best film, <laughs> best film. Yeah, the best film of, of that year. Quality, <laughs> yes. 
nice uh, work. But essentially, yeah, you would, as with Graham's work, but perhaps to a bit of a lesser uh, effect, you had just very striking imagery. Uh, most of the time, and quite a general rule is you'll get a female in distress with some kind of murder weapon, some kind of uh, killer and some kind of other kind of very offensive iconography. There's, there's certainly a film called Cataclysm, um, and the front cover of that is um, black background with uh, a lady shrieking, a guy holding a big knife, and then a huge bloody swastika. Nice. So if you, were nice. gonna, if you were looking for something that was going to test you... Tick all the boxes of offensiveness. <laughs> tick all, yeah, tick all the video boxes. That would have been the thing. Um, but another of the in- interesting uh, uh, lines of the marketing were the taglines. Obviously, that's always something that's been used in film mm. through the ages. Uh, but they got particularly um, amusing when it came to, to uh, horror films. There's a film called The Lamp, uh, and uh, one that always makes me chuckle, and the tagline to that was, you'll wish you were dead. <laughs> and I'm not sure if that is <laughs> watching the film or, or, or imagining you're in the film. Oh, very good. But, um, but other notable ones were um, Night of the Creeps, find it's better if I try and do a, uh, a Vincent Price kind of kind of d- uh, evil voice with Go these. On. But not the creep is um, uh, the good news is that your date is here. The bad news is he's dead. And uh, bummer. The the our oh, dentist too, which wasn't really uh, that was very mid nineties, <laughs> but it was a film with Corbin Benson about this this maniac dentist that used to go to turn on people's people's teeth. Uh, but yeah, the sequel to Dentist Two was uh, Dentist Two. You know the drill. Uh, <laughs> always entertaining <laughs> right well there we go I was like the uh, the film Dead and Buried what was it it will take your breath away uh, all of it the song we have coming up um, um, that's, was quite an infamous one The Burning which is uh, based around the idea that if you if you move he will hear you if you if you make a noise he will, uh, sorry if, if you shift he will see you uh, and that's quite an important part of the beginning of the film so just to have a little tenuous link into the, the next song that's coming up uh, that was quite a The Burning was quite a um, once again a well made but, uh, but got banded with those with those uh, those titles in the video Nasty Era and this is actually um uh, you know, a quite a well-known musician as well. Very oh, much so. I, I was surprised to see uh, to see him doing this at all because it's, it's, it's seen as quite a low-brow, you know, genre. Mm. Um, but it's fantastic, all of it. It's Rick Wakeman, um, and it's from The Burning. This is well, music. It's called. <laughs> Again, I'm having to fade this one out because it's absolutely terrifying. This one's even longer than The Goblin. This is an 11-minute track from Rick Wakeman, which, as you can hear, is pretty terrifying. Standard length. Yeah. Um, But, yes, do check that out. So, again, that that points out this idea that although a lot of the stuff that um, that was produced on on, uh, on VHS was, you know, with the greatest respect, rubbish. Um, there Ooh, were yes. lots of, you know, little things that are interesting in amongst them, and whether that be the soundtracks or whether that be certain films that maybe got unfairly lumped in, uh, yeah, it's yeah. worth um, checking them out. Um, so we're going to continue with our Graham Humphreys interview now. Of course, yes. So um, let's go into this. So Graham Humphreys, as we said earlier, was very much um, involved with all of this uh, design stuff, the boom of VHS, um, and, and obviously a huge amount of artistry that goes on with it, um, and as you say, often significantly superior to the films that are inside the tapes. Massively, yeah. He spoke about his inspirations um, being uh, people like Alphonse uh, Mucha and um, um, Chiray, who were these uh, uh, Lithov 
lithographer and a, a painter um, um, from um, back in the day. And you look at their work, and when you kind of piece the two things together, you can you can see where it comes from. But obviously, he's doing it in a very with a very punk aesthetic, and I think it purposely grubby and purposely lo-fi. And I think we have some images on that, so we'll tweet out the images of um, his work and also perhaps some of the art that inspired him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do. Well, let's hear the second part of the interview. Uh, and so yeah, you, you do sketches and then um, present those to the client and uh, sometimes, well back in the day I would quite often do colour visuals which would be sometimes painted as well Of course, uh, because everything there was more time you know, then, you know, there wasn't this urgency which has now been brought about by the internet you know, everything yeah. moved at a much slower pace you know, sometimes say well can, can we adjust this a bit or change this or can we have this bit with that bit from that rough um, but yeah, once you've got the approval on that, then you just go straight to the painting. And, um, you know, I think it was understood that painting is a painting. Once it was done, that's it. Changing it is an elaborate process. You have to paint over stuff. Of course. Or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, whereas now, of course, people just expect everything to you press a button on the computer. It's and done and kind of... Yeah, get what they want. Yeah. But, um, you know, people don't learn. Well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the thing is, art directors then were a bit more aware of the process I mean they, they, they understood that yes. you know if you paint something it takes time and if you want to change it that's a, another sort of time process yeah. and they would understand that they probably have to pay some more money because you know, you're using your time which you know, might be better you know, might be otherwise spent on another job of course yeah so yeah all, all of that was understood but uh, it's not so much now though really no, it's, no. it's um, anybody who commissions edu- uh, illustration now sort of has a bit of a struggle to start with until they get to know their um you know, artists a bit yeah, better, yeah. and get to understand what the process is. Okay. Do you still work in, in the same way? I take it it's oil that you're working? Is it, uh, the actual... It's, it's gouache, oh, which wash. is a, okay. do you know, it's, it's a, no, a water-based no, no, paint. It's essentially watercolour pigments, okay. but with a, a white, opaque base. So whereas watercolour is transparent, and you yeah. just get the white of the paper underneath, actually has the white within the paint. Oh. So it's, um, it... it, it takes a while to get used to I mean I did all that went through that process at art college though so course, course. I, I learned how to use the paint and how to mix the colours you know to not make them all go grey and brown yeah. which is what you know, <laughs> happens if you don't know what you're doing um, but yeah the, because it's, it can dry with quite a chalky finish so actually retaining intense colour is quite a skill with oh, gouache oh, okay. um, but traditionally it was used for advertising when people used to paint you know, advertising um, signs and uh, uh, or posters rather uh, it's very good at providing flat colours just you know, very opaque flat colours if, okay. if you knew what you were doing you could get these kind of they're quite graphic looking things um, now I tend to use it as a mixture of uh, almost like watercolour sometimes the normal then sort of in its thicker form okay. to, uh, to quite opaque layers but um, it's very versatile it dries very fast and if it's on your palette uh, if it's dried, you just have water and you can mix it up again. Okay. Whereas with acrylic, once that's dry, it's just a piece of plastic and you have to peel off the plate and chuck it away. Oh, uh, so I, I, it's, you know, if you have no money as well, especially it's an economical way of working. Yeah, you know, I'm not a rich man now, but uh, <laughs> I, I have absolutely no <laughs> money um, in the 80s. You know, it was just, it was, you know, a very, very fallow period. But um, so you worked very cheaply and, you know, glass was cheap and um, uh, I paint quite small quite often because you know use less paper so it's you know anything you do to save some money
easiest competitions if you can detect what this music is. We thought this would be appropriate theme music for our game show today because it's all a, a game, a TV show from the 80s, which is now back and has been <laughs> reappraised as having a lot more artistic merit than perhaps was originally noticed the first time. It's the, it's the theme tune to Crystal Maze. Um, and we're doing that in honour of our quiz. Yay. Come on, let's have some drama in the studio, please. Woo! Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, okay, ready? Uh, can you do us the introduction, please, Tim? Barber or Carver, the game. <laughs> so what does that mean? Well, you basically have to guess. I'm going to give you a, 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 a name, um, Italian surname or full name, and you have to guess whether or not it is an actor from a Lamberto, Lamberto Barva uh, film, who's a very famous Italian horror director, or... And he had a horror father. I know this. His father was a famous horror director as well. Oh, please Mario enlighten Barva. me. Mario Barva. Oh, ma- of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Uh, and, 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 uh, or... Is it a carver, which I've been informed is a, a, a Spanish champagne? Right? Well, it's a sparkling wine. Sparkling wine, but it just doesn't have, you know, if it was called Barva or Prosecco, it wouldn't have the same it ring. Wouldn't. So, so, so you're going to read out some, some names. Some names, some, and yes. we have to tell here whether or not it's an actor or, or a, an Italian champagne. A fizzy, um, a fizzy drink. You're not allowed to call it champagne. Champagne is terroir. It's a uh, protected title. You have to come Ooh. from the champagne region of France to call your uh, fizzy wine champagne. Okay, um, thank you. I'm you learning. can use method champenois, which is how they make it. Anyway, um, <laughs> sparkling, wine. sparkling wine. Sparkling wine. Yeah, it's a blue it's nun. A, it's a, it's, a, it's that? a bit of brew nun that's been through a soda stream. <laughs> um, so, uh, so here we go. Barber or Carver? For the first one. Maschio Valdobbiadini. Is that Barva or Carver? I'm going for Barva. What do you reckon, Tim? Yeah, Barva. Barva. Maschio Valdobbiadini um, starred in Blood, Vom- Blood Vampire 3. <laughs> Blood, Blood, Blood Vomit 2. Now I'm afraid that is a, uh, that is a champagne. Oh, or a sparkling drink. That's a sparkling drink, okay. Okay, next one. Next one, we have uh, Ciampolini. 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 Oh, well, that's got to be a carver, right? It's got... Isn't he a cyclist? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's Ciampolini. Uh, Ciampolini. Carver. Well done, Tim. Yeah. Oh, sorry, now, apologies. That is, uh, that is Barva. There you go. Oh. Did you say Barva? I said Carver. Oh, you're both wrong again. Sorry. <laughs> Zero, zeros, uh, zeros all around. Uh, so next we have Memoni. 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 Um, he is a uh, barber. Carver. Well done, Blake. It's a barber. What film is uh, he in? Uh, Mamoni is from uh, Demons. Demons. Demons or. Oh, yeah! No, no. <laughs> Demons or Macabre. Those, those are the two that I chose these for. So finally, I think we've got two more. Okay. So next one Zini. 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 This Italian scene, man. There's no bounds. Um, I'm going Carver. Barver. Well then, team, it's 1-1. One, one. <sighs> you have a tiebreaker. <laughs> so is this, are we on the last question now? This is, this is five, so yeah, you've both got one point. Right, this so is this, the is the last, this is the last question, okay. Yes, this is for the game. Barver or Carver? Marca Oro. Marca Oro. Marca Oro. Barver, he was... Marca Oro played... Third victim in demons. in uh, Macabre, I reckon. <laughs> Tim, 
Ooh, I'll do the other one because it makes it more gripping. Carver. Mm. Okay, we need some kind of drum roll. It's Carver, I'm afraid. Ah. Tim is Tim the is winner of our fantastic <laughs> new game show. The format might need a little bit of tweaking. Uh, we need no. to find a jingle for this Barber or Carver. <laughs> Well, we've got Crystal Maze going on. That's the best we'll have to do. So <laughs> thank you very much. But you can still uh, tweet in or call us to win um, your uh, copy of the Graham Humphreys art book, uh, booklet, signed by um, Graham Humphreys himself. And to do that, you need to identify the sound um, identifiers. What the video, uh, the, they, they are uh, video distribution idents. So things like... Um, Things like Vestron or things like um, 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 entertainment video, so things about, that you would have seen at the beginning yeah. of, a, of a video. You'll have seen. Trailers. Think about you know when you watch a Disney film and you see the Disney castle and the thing go over it and all of that kind of stuff. Or you see a, a Spielberg film and you see the little boy uh, in the, the DreamWorks um, uh, yeah. identity. So have a look at that. Um, at, have a listen to this and see if you can identify them. We'll play it one more time for you. Any of these that you can identify. No, oh, hang on a minute. I will probably get the right uh, clip up to do that. That will make it sound a lot better, I think. Let's try it again, shall we? The following preview trailer is not suitable for viewing by persons of a nervous disposition. Switch off your television set immediately, unless you are prepared to be really terrified. Oh! Have we got the video? Beware of illegal v- video nasty. How can anybody not like video ch- 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 or Peter? Keep repeating. Research is taking place, and it will show that these films not only affect young people, but I believe they affect dogs as well. Groovy. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the film. There you go. Have you got that yet? We are still getting lots of tweets in. Um, we have had uh, one comment that someone's tweeted us is this whole idea of these videos. They can't bear to throw them away. They've still got them clutching up their house, but they never play them. I'm like that with DVDs, to be honest. But um, <laughs> that is true. There are there are. Someone sent a picture actually. Um, it is um, B film of of um, a video of the moderns. Beautiful looking video box. They can't throw it away, but they can't actually watch it either. It's I a bet. piece of. I'm happy to borrow them a VHS player if they'd like. How many VHS players do you have? I have six. Six. <laughs> six VHS most players. of them are in my nan's loft. <laughs> um, we also have. Thank you, Munro Films. They've they've also tweeted us how disappointed they were. Uh, about their local video shop having the very small Betamax selection, so they were one of those sort of <laughs> clever early people. But they, you know, they were they were only able to get hold of a handful of things, and all their friends with loads of the VHS could get those things. It still lasted quite a, a while, Betamax. It was only until Sony actually gave in and made their own um, um, VHS uh, player that the Betamax kind of died. Oh. So yeah, it did cling on for a, quite a long time. Um, so speaking of clinging on, what, what was it you wanted to talk now about the kind of the Death of Analog. Oh, uh, the Death of Analog is is a uh, the title oh. of a Klaus Schultz um, song that is in a, an Australian horror film called Next of Kin. Oh, well, um, uh, this was born out of the exploitation um, period in which the Australian government guaranteed producers would get one hundred percent of the money they'd put into a film um, once the film had been released. So it, it it kind of gave birth to things such as Mad Max came out of it, um, Turkey Shoot, which is quite an infamous. Uh, exploitation slash splatter film um, but one of the most kind of gifted filmmakers who didn't really make much afterwards but his name is Tony Williams he directed this film called Next of Kin and for my money it's it's up there with um, 
some of the best. It's genuinely, it's got a sense of dread and a, and a kind of an eeriness that's uh, uh, akin to The Shining. And it's just simply about this lady that goes back to look after her mother's uh, nursing home when she dies, and there's kind of very spooky goings on. But um, as, as far as it goes with the cinematography and the, the the feel of the film, it's 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 a masterpiece. I think Tarantino talks about this as being one of his big kind of um, early kind of inspirations for wanting to get into filmmaking. Um, so, should we play some music from it then? Yes, this is also for uh, Christopher Davidson, my uh, my dear friend from London, who asked for this specifically. So. Okay, well, this one goes out to you, Christopher. It's um, Klaus Schultz, and it's from the f- soundtrack to the film Next of Kin, which we're now calling a hidden classic. Very much so. Um, we've seen most of these, have we? Yeah. Sin, 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 sin. Well, I've not seen that. Oh, I have. It's really good. Is it? How many killings? Seven. No, don't. The way that he does it, he kills one by gluttony, one by greedy, sexy, ugly, sleepy. Dopey and bashful. Not that good. I don't like that Bradley Pitts anyway. No. Too much acting. And there you had the League of Gentlemen and their video shop skit. Um, so, uh, thank you again for all of your tweets. We're really enjoying hearing it. We haven't had any calls in the studio yet, but you are welcome to do that. 0121 633 We're determined that producer Kyra will get to answer the phone. So, if you're by the phone, um, give us a ring. 0121 633 Tell us about your first uh, video that you got out or that you bought or... The first, uh, what your video shop was like, your local video shop. We have lots of warm memories from uh, Damien and Tim here in the studio about video vision and various other things. I remember, you see, you could the first time a video was able to be actually bought, the first time a mass market big video came out was, I think, um, uh, Rain Man. I seem Ooh, to remember okay. that. I remember okay. that being a big thing because prior really? to that, they were only ever sold for rental. So you could buy them, but they were like 45 quid or something. Yep. And the first time, if I, if I remember rightly, that was a big thing. That was Warner Home, um, Warner home Video no, when okay. they started to break into the market. And that, yeah. that changed yeah. things again because that's when people could actually own these things. Exactly. Um, prior it to that, it was it was obviously rental. Um, but do you want to talk about something else specifically? Um, I want to talk about franchises. Mm. Um, and I basically wanted to give myself an excuse to try and convince you all that Jason Lives Friday the 13th Part 6 is one of the greatest films ever made also okay good luck (laughs) but yeah um, because of the cheapness of of the VHS units and the fact that you could um, uh, you could get to a mass kind of audience so easily uh, you'd, you'd find a, a big kind of stream of, of franchises came around you had the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise Halloween um, even Leprechaun had had about four or five sequels one of them being Leprechaun in Da Hood which was uh, <laughs> uh, and then obviously Critters in space and, and, and m- most things went to space eventually in- yeah. including Jason who I'm going to be speaking he about he went to hell as I recall Jason went to hell and then next he went to space yeah, yeah. nine is go to hell ten is go to space <laughs> Jason X uh, but yes, so due to this, the, you kind of you get a lot of these kind of very poorly made. Uh, didn't really have to worry about return on theatrical release, so they just concentrate on the video market. And um, and out of this, one of the the kind of gems um, and a film that I love, and also the forerunner for postmodern horror, which was kind of made so so famous with Scream in 1996, mm. um, was Jason Lives Friday the Thirteenth Part Six. 
and director of this guy called Tom McCloughlin um, actually Kevin Will- Williamson who wrote Scream he kind of thanked him and credited, uh, credited him as being the person that kind of inspired uh, picking apart and the deconstruction of, of the genre because by the time that Tom McCloughlin made that it was 1986 when he made part 6 everyone knew the mechanics of the Friday the 13th film they knew uh, what was going to happen when it was going to happen it was essentially a sequence of, uh, of deaths and we knew it was Jason at this point so there's no real mystery so he starts to be very kind of playful and t- uh, tongue in cheek with the, the whole kind of genre uh, to the point where there's a scene in there where Jason, oh, Whitley, this is the first film although it's normally set in Camp Crystal Lake that only ever appears in flashbacks it's the first time Jason ever appears at, at Chris, uh, Camp Crystal Lake and also the first time you've got kids there as well so that adds a certain level of kind of, uh, uh, kind of tension to the whole thing but there's a scene where Jason walks past these sets of windows and you've got the kids in the foreground, the camera tilts down and there's a six year old blonde girl very sweet looking um, clutching a copy of Jean-Paul Sartre's No Exit to a to a chest, which I think is is a is a lovely little gag. You've also got strewn through the film. You've got um, it, all the character surnames are, um, are horror references. Loomis, uh, there's a girl called Sissy after Sissy Spacek from Carrie. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a it's a genuinely uh, fantastic little slasher, but also um, uh, y- you know it works as this as this wonderful kind of tongue in cheek pastiche of the whole genre. So it's well worth watching. Jason lives uh, for the 13th part six. Okay. Um, so convinced, Tim. Is that the greatest <laughs> film ever made? You haven't seen it, I presume. I haven't seen watch it. Watch it first and then get back to me. I, I will, well, okay. Yes. Yes. Richard Attenborough also said that he was inspired by that film when he made Gandhi as well. So, yeah. That may be a lie. <laughs> One of these facts is <laughs> true. I yes. want to hear Richard Attenborough actually just saying that. That would be brilliant. That would be, yes. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I was very... <laughs> no, no. <laughs> my my favourite director, Lomberto Barva. Um, <laughs> well, you never know. Um, I mean, that's really interesting, isn't it? This whole idea that, that these things occupied a kind of slightly parallel world to the cinema. So you get these kind of self-referential things. You get these kind of jokes that are in jokes perhaps for the video audience very much so the, not the cinema audience no and this no. this also happened when you started having things like films about people watching videos there's a film called The Video Dead isn't there where zombies there is, come yes. out of a videotape the and then tape, you've yes. got um, The Ring and things like that where they're actually you know again it, it comes back to this whole postmodern thing of yeah, uh, you know, exactly. it, it reflects the fact that you're watching it at home for the first time. Referencing the, the kind of hysteria that that, that was uh, created by them, yeah, mm. almost, almost definitely. Uh, the The Evil Dead, or, uh, sorry, the Evil Dead, the Video Dead, also being one of the most uh, vivid for me uh, pieces of artwork, which is this awesome zombie. Is this the cover? Smashed, yeah, yeah, the VHS um, X rental. Oh, that, not that one. There's one. Oh, there's it's one. a TV, and there's a zombie bursting out of it. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, I, I actually tried to find the the artist who drew that, but I've been scaring the internet, and, and no such luck. Um, but yeah, if you can get your hands on a copy of that, the film is um, testing to say the least. <laughs> However, uh, it's 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 a classic case of you sell the sizzle, not the steak, um, mm. which is a, a quote from my friend Simon. But yes, it's uh, it's it's a, a good quote, wonderful, good quote, Simon Paul. Well, so speaking as someone who is an expert on selling the sizzle uh, and not the steak, maybe we should uh, go into the final part of our interview with Graham Humphreys, was a central part of that, and something that he said earlier on in the interview, which I'm really interested in, is this idea of you know the painting because you know you could make these this, this cover art 
significantly better than the film itself. Almost definitely. Um, <laughs> and um, and yeah, um, did you ever feel? Do you ever feel cheated when you sit and watch the video dead and you think that's a great cover but a terrible film? There's, uh, or you I think there's a certain expectation at this level, at uh, this point in time, where um, you would uh, you would you, there's a thing where you'd pick one from the wall and you knew it was going to be the, the the better the the artwork, the worse the film was going to be. Uh, and I think that's the uh, that's the, the the case with a lot of these films. It's probably as a parallel to a lot of death metal bands that I listen to as sure, well, where the artwork <laughs> is a lot better than the music. Well, weirdly enough, um, Graham Humphreys did uh, one of the famous pieces he did was the cover to Off the Bone by the Cramps. He did that especially, uh-huh. and um, and so yeah, there's a very similar aesthetic and also approach to kind of how society deems that type of music and these type of films. Mm. So it's you know it's a, it's a teenage uh, um, thing for kids, but it's also kind of polluting their minds with all sorts of terrible things fantastic well let's hear from graham humphreys uh, and we'll be back remember you can still tweet us or ring us with your first ever video rental uh, your first video shop memories um so let's have the final part of our interview with graham humphreys artist when i did that poster um i was quite keen to um again take it away from the traditional horror film poster thing although of course I did plumb for the blue light but um, it, it seemed appropriate for the poster at the time though and also to take right, it away sure. from anything to do with the evil dead because Palace Pictures was very keen to say look it's it's not the evil dead um, you yeah. know we need to make it look quite different to that though so I thought well I have to go for the more traditional kind of colour palette uh, nighttime okay. palette but um, I thought well at least I can try and do something a bit exotic with it though so it was the work of Alphonse Mucker he did a lot of poster work screen printed poster work and you know, in, in, in about the same time as um, artists like Toulouse Le Trek and such like those okay. French artists, yeah, yeah. so oh. it, his work is distinctively Arnie Vogue. But there's something about his work which I really, really liked. And uh, another artist called Jules Sherry, uh, who did a lot of um, screen printed poster work as well at the time. Yeah. Um, and there was something about his color palettes and just the textures and the way he, you know, these blobs of color. Um, it kind of you know, really, really influenced, um, you know, like, so all, all of this stuff, you know, the trees, that's all kind of very much influenced by Jules Sherry's work, and, uh, yeah, and, and Looker as well, though. Yeah, of course. So it's for, it's just for me to kind of enjoy. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah. And, you know, to try and experiment with um, styles and um, just bring in the sort of pleasure I got from those artists' work into, into my own. Okay, so yeah, is, is there someone that you never got a chance to uh, work with or work for, who, whose work you would have liked to have illustrated or kind of a director and um, musician? It, a question I get asked quite a lot is, you know, is there a film that you'd like to have done a poster for and you didn't get the chance to, you know. And, um, you know, that, that's endless, really, though. I always say, yeah, every Hammer film, probably, but, um, <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, I, I did. I was actually asked that at the Fight Festival interview with Emily Booth. She asked that question as well, though, and I said, well, actually, so I did... Uh, Evil Dead 1 and Evil Dead 2 but I, I didn't get to work on Army of Darkness so, of course, uh, yes, so um, that has been now redressed because I've, I've done a version which is going to be screen print because I've did um, new versions of Evil Dead 1 and Evil Dead 2 okay. and so just to complete that trilogy we've um, oh awesome so yes yeah, so I have now actually officially completed the version. Uh, yes exactly you've come full circle absolutely yeah <laughs> um, but now thank you very much I appreciate yeah, your time absolute pleasure really enjoyed Thank you well. very much for um, <laughs> Graham Humphreys there. Um, and again, for your tweets, B-Film have, have, have suggested we're being disingenuous here on the show because we're not mentioning perhaps the elephant in the room around video cassettes, which is pornography. Um, now, 
pornography obviously previously existed in cinemas, but presumably it was a huge boon. Suddenly, people were able to have this. You could actually take, take, yeah, take home your your favourite John Holmes film and mm. watch it in your in your uh, in your home. Um, it was actually one of the contributing factors, one of the major contributing factors to VHS being chosen over Betamax uh, in the sense that Sony wouldn't let pornography be um, um, put onto any of their Betamax tapes, so they strictly said no to that, which meant the porn industry went to VHS, that brought the unit price down and then the medium of Betamax died out because of that. Ah, so is that something that people don't make the mistake again now and are welcoming? Well, it, it, yeah, um, the, the, the porn industry generally make the decision um, with any kind of dual format. So we had Blu-ray and HD, and then before that we had, um, sorry, Blu-ray, um, DVD mm. and Laserdisc, things like this. Uh, so yeah, they, they, they always tend to have the last word. I'm not an expert on this. Um, but it, it, it tends to be that the porn industry dictate formats, don't they? Massively, yeah. So yeah. VR at the moment is getting huge sway in the porn industry. Oh, so for virtual reality helmet things. Yes. yes. 360 video and uh, um, immersive experiences. Immersive experiences, yes. For the benefit of the people who aren't in the studio, I'm putting a, ho- a disgusted face. <laughs> I'm, I'm remaining stressed. straight-faced and not yeah. giggling or smiling. Here. When I worked, The video shop I worked in, we used to have a... a a pornographic section and the people that would come in we'd see these blokes that would come in and they'd always like look like they were just you know coming to choose a film so they'd be looking at the art section or oh, maybe I'll look at the blockbusters and then I'll maybe pick up a porn film and then that's what they ended up choosing and, and this pretense they always had the last you know, choice. that's just what they chose <laughs> and then they would bring, about an hour later they'd bring this film back having watched about 20 minutes of the way through and not is that all they needed it. yeah and we'd, it'd always be a kind of ew um, <laughs> hose it down before we put them back so I don't want to talk too much more about uh, uh, this side of things but it's a good point uh, that has <laughs> been raised about how you know porn did set this thing off but also yeah. kind of violence replaced porn in a weird way that's it yeah there's a, a, lot, a lot of people at the time especially um, in uh, when the newspaper kind of furor um, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a, a kind of nonsense went off spoke about the idea that uh, extreme violence replaced porn as like this big money spinner mm-hmm. so people were things like faces of death uh, came out which is um, supposed to be a real kind of set of this psychiatrist talking about the nature of death and 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 uh, and, and how the human race kind of responds to it. But essentially, it's someone being electrocuted electrocuted in a chair, someone falling off a building, uh, uh, and and things like this. I think there's a clip somewhere that we have potentially that we can play of Siskel and Ebert, um, uh, the American, uh, very famous American reviewers, talking about the video nasty and just. Totally that, that I want to hear. Ripping into it, yeah. Okay, yeah. well, why don't we? Let's have a listen to Siskel and Ebert talking about video nasties. I presume this is some point in the 80s. That's how quick this is. Yes. Yeah. If you are a teenager, you may not have heard of the term video nasties or gross-out films. These terms refer to a whole group of pictures full of blood and guts, sometimes real, sometimes fake. And kids are renting them voraciously and holding video nasty parties in their homes to see if they are man enough or woman enough to sit through all this disgusting gore. The trend is so popular that some stores have devoted entire shelves to this gory stuff under the horror label, but this isn't regular horror pictures. This is stuff that is simply blood and gut. They didn't really like it much, did they? They were, they were not fans <laughs> They weren't of keen at all. No. I suppose in, in the US, uh, being a lot more clean-cut and kind of, uh, uh, you know, kind of Christian family-orientated, mm. it caused a, a kind of much bigger, bigger stir. Um, but yes, yeah, that's just the that's the the, the kind of 
brush within with what the kind of films were, were mm. tarred with. Um, I certainly remember, you know, I was I was a child obviously when all this stuff happened. Um, you know, there was, you know, it was terrifying. It, there were the implication was very much that, you know, you would watch this and your brain would turn to mush and you would become, you know, a violent psychopath. And there was a lot of it, and there was certainly a suggestion that there was something, yeah, different about these films. Or about the fact that you could watch it at home, because there was all that input. The other thing that could happen with, with VHS, which never had before, was this idea that you could just watch a bit. You know, this idea that we're now used to with YouTube and everything, of being able to watch an excerpt. Of course, yeah. that never happened beforehand. You watch a film from beginning to end. You couldn't rewind it. You couldn't watch a bit again. You watched everything. It was always in context. Yes. Um, and you couldn't forward past the boring bit. So... It was a very different kind of way of watching, I suppose, or potentially a different way of watching. Well, yeah, exactly. And also you look at the repetition as well, the, the, the fact that you could, you know, you could see it uh, again and again and again. You had this in your house. Um, in fact, I think I remember Charles Play 3 being, uh, being cast to one side um, in the, the papers when James Bulger... Uh, was, That's ad- right, was yes. abducted. Um, however, they never never found any copies of it, and I think there's something along the lines of the film wasn't actually released in this country at that time. It was just something that was that was about, and there's posters and so on. But yeah, the, 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 the kids mentioned this at some point, and um, uh, the same thing happened and was uh, linked directly to the VRA being brought into place when a, um, a young lad committed these certain amount of crimes and said that he'd watched certain videos. That had, um, I think, last it's on the left was one that you spoke about. That, um, We're hearing the same thing you know, these days with computer games, one hundred percent, which obviously has led to similar you know, licensing requirements. And stuff for those. Any forms of mainstream media get associated with things, don't they? So mm. it happened with music as well, didn't it? And, uh, uh, with yeah, uh, with Marilyn metal, Ma- yeah, with um, Marilyn Manson, Marilyn Manson, yeah. Manson and, and, and Judas Priest prior to that. Judas yeah. Priest, um, <laughs> Alice Cooper, I'm sure, is exactly the same. But yeah, so again, yeah, yeah. what what we had for the first time is this idea of it being out of the hands that was the thing wasn't it it was out of the hands of the cinema the chains and yeah. as you say the state it was suddenly terrifying and the other thing that we haven't talked about which was a big um, development which maybe we should talk about uh, later is uh, home taping as well you know be able to record stuff off telly yeah because yeah. that changed again that changed things because Huge. not only could you you know you'd sit there and you'd, you'd press pause whenever the adverts came on so you didn't record the adverts <laughs> yeah. um, and then you had the film at home that you just taped off the telly. I think this was as important as actually renting you know to have your own blank video at VHS it gave you a world didn't it and uh, 100% you yeah. know you, you, you could you could you could guide what you watched when you watched it you you weren't kind of glued to watching after having to watch a football game when it was broadcast you could you could tape it watch it afterwards watch it tomorrow and so on and uh, as we mentioned briefly earlier uh, it it, it started it was a forerunner for this kind of culture that we have now of you know streaming and video on demand and, and and not having to stick to a tv schedule but but being able to pick the things you want and watch them when you want to i mean something that my kids find difficult to comprehend is this idea you could miss things yeah <laughs> you know? and you would not oh, yeah. see them again because they, they wouldn't be repeated yeah. for uh, a number of years until they got a dvd release yeah. uh, lots you know yeah, lots yeah. Of yeah. well i'm still comprehending this idea now that you bring out tv series in their entirety for you to watch in one go all in one as go, yeah. on the day of the first episode of something yeah. And that's not Which happening just with that's not just Netflix. Now the BBC have done that with the recent yeah. series of Top of the Lake. That's right. They put it all up on iPlayer prior to it being transmitted on BBC. Yeah, I mean the new Tim Roth thing, Tim Starr. They've been trailing not the first episode. They've been trailing the whole series, mm. <laughs> which was out yesterday. Not the fact that the first episode was out mm. yesterday. <laughs> the mentality has completely changed. Well, there's you a know. whole other show on there, but yeah, here, exactly. Screen Room today is VHS. So uh, continue to send us your. 
early memories of VHS? Do you have any? Do you still have any tapes at home? Do you remember breaking off the little tab that meant that you couldn't record? That meant that you really, really liked this. You record something and you snap the tab off. It couldn't be taped over. That meant until you, that was yeah. something you kept. You know, <laughs> I remember somebody, um, yeah, one of my friends doing that with with all of Live Eight. All of Live oh, Aid, okay, we yeah. had like all of Live Aid on loads and loads of tapes. Yeah. Um, you have to quickly take the tape out and put it in again, uh, so you missed a little bit during <laughs> yeah. that. But. And there are also, of course, those periods of time where someone has actually used your VHS and recorded over the thing <gasps> that you loved. I recorded on the waterfront, um, and uh, my mum stopped it 45 minutes of the way through because she thought that someone had just left the video on and I never I've, to this day have never seen the end of On the Waterfront one, one of my favourite memories is recording A View to a Kill uh, off ITV <laughs> and after A View to Kill is the last episode of season 2 of Twin Peaks oh, so you could watch the end of is... go from Roger Moore to uh, to the Black Lodge immediately <laughs> it's just grace isn't it that was one of the wonderful things I still have tapes where I, I, um, I've taped I did this thing where I took the whole of the Police Academy series. They always used to be put on ITV in the nineties, and I would I would take them on long play, which was uh, a, a, a setting you could you could oh, put your yeah, video yeah, into. Long play, yeah, six would, hours. Have slightly less quality, but it would turn a three-hour tape into it's a six-hour tape. Yeah. So I had all these Police Academy Smell videos. The burn. On there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, but then you would leave it taping into the evening and then you'd get, like you just said, all sorts of little oddities and strange things and now I watch them back and there's just these weird chat line advertisements yeah, yeah. and, and these odd kind of... Yeah, yeah, I, see, yeah. I, I've, got, I've got loads of... I used to remember VHS tapes of when you know, Central ended for the evening. Yes. You know, and this is Colin Ring wishing you... And I, I'd like to wish you a very good night now. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I the, love that stuff. Again, the, the, the young people here in the studio... Car and Carys, our producers, are just, they cannot understand what on earth we're talking about. TV used to finish about, <laughs> about quarter past 12 at night, and then it didn't come on again until actually breakfast TV came on, but prior to that, it didn't come on until about 10 that o'clock was a big in the morning. Kind of revolution, yeah. wasn't it? I remember yeah. waking up the IBA before TVAM, you yeah. know, and used to have jingle music before TVAM. And began, it, you know, so. talking about moral panics, I know we're going well off the topic here, but I remember that having a big moral panic. When breakfast TV came on, there was a lot of controversy because they worried that it meant that children wouldn't go to school because TV <laughs> would be on in the morning and they would just watch TV and never go to school. I remember that, I remember that happening. I did enjoy the big breakfast, but not to that extent. Let's have some more music now. We're going to play you a track. Uh, this, is, um, this is a party time zombie version. Uh, who's this one by? Uh, this is a song called 45 Grave um, by, uh, sorry, a song called Party Time by 45 Grave. What a name. Uh, it's from the uh, film Return of the Living Dead, which Graham Humphreys also did the very iconic um, uh, VHS kind of Vestron release uh, artwork for. And Return of the Living Dead is interesting because this is this kind of unofficial stroke, semi-official sequel to... Mm, uh, not unofficial, the, the gentleman John Russo and uh, George Romero were the two creators of Night of the Living Dead. Uh, they then separated, um, and any of the Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, or Of the Dead was um, George Romero's, and this other gentleman made the returns, which is one, two, and three, and a fourth one also as well, yep. But they decreased in quality, the first one being far superior to the rest. Let's hear the track. This is uh, 45 Grave with Party Time Zombie. That was uh, 45 Grave playing It's Party Time, and that's from the soundtrack to Return of the Living Dead, which is yes. one of the sequels to uh, Night of the Living Dead. It's got, uh, yeah, a, a, a very, um, uh, uh, yes, it, it's linked to John Russo. Well, the whole, the whole story there's quite interesting, isn't it? It's to do with the trademark not being properly put together on the original Night of the Living Dead 
title card. That's correct. Um, yes. Leading to this whole kind of Living Dead being a it kind gave of birth to the to the um, uh, some argue gave birth to the zombie genre in mm. its entirety. So things like Zombie Flesh Eaters was released over here. I think as as zombie, or it certainly had a, had a lot of links to Night of the Living Dead because it was so famous. Mm. Um, um, but yeah, all sorts of things, including some of the things I brought in here today, uh, Knights of Terror, and um, a film called Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things was re- <laughs> was re released as as uh, as a film called Revenge of the Living Dead, as opposed to Return. Um, but yeah, that's also got a very interesting uh, use of marketing in that. The, the graphic designer that put the sleeve together for Revenge of the Living Dead is essentially just, just taking things from other films. So he's taken um, excerpts from Burial Ground and from Night, uh, Nights of Terror and just whacked it into this Good into job. this montage and just said that's our film. And the film has got n- nothing on the front of that of that screen, which are actual photos and not um, interpretations so on, the, on the sleeve. Yeah, nothing on the sleeve. He's actually in the film <laughs> at all and this happened quite a lot to the point where people would just take front covers and put a brand new title over the top and just say this is a this is our film because they couldn't afford it so this is real sort of wild Graphic west designer. stuff here there's no kind of hugely yeah yeah oversight really yeah massively yeah <laughs> just whatever you could do to get someone to pick that video and to uh and to and to have you know them take that and rent that take it home that's the thing you mentioned one film there which i've forgotten which the title was which was actually quite good you you said um, um, was that Burial Ground? I can't remember. Nights of Terror. Um, you said something that had a, a quite of a sort of sinister um, vibe to it that was actually quite well put together. I um, apologise. I think I think that was Next of Kin that I mentioned mm. uh, mentioned earlier. Are there any other examples from you that you think you know that little, things that have either got lumped in little gems, yeah, or or things that were actually produced within this genre, which actually you know were had a lot of artistic merit. I mean, obviously. Well, Evil Dead has been incredibly influential. Yes, um, and they've launched the career of Sam Raimi, who's gone on to do you know many many major Hollywood things. But of course, yeah, um, other there, the, there is a um, um, I think Joseph Spinelli. Or I might be getting this wrong. I think the director's name is Dito. Joseph Spinelli uh, was the actor in it. There's a film called Maniac, which was uh, released in 1980. That's uh, the the Tom Savini did the the makeup artistry. So in Tom Savini is kind of like um, the go-to guy for all kind of gory special effects really isn't hugely it? yeah he he was he was kind of inspired he went to vietnam came back while he was there take, took lots of pictures he was a photographer took lots of pictures of these because dismembered the horrible sights that he saw uh, came back and and i suppose as some kind of way of getting over his ptsd he started to create these again and again and again and kind mm. of perhaps, perhaps contain them and, and control these horrible image, images that he had in his head so dawn of the dead um, Friday the 13th uh, these were all films that Savini did and Maniac is one of the more uh, gritty very very visceral kind of um, it was definitely a nasty but it, it's also I think it's remade in two, two, it's remade with Elijah with Wood, Elijah Wood yeah. that's and it's, right um, yeah. it's a kind of all told from the point of view of the killer I think isn't it it's, it's very much so in the sense that you are, you are there's no mystery you, you, you are living with, with him um, which is very much the same as uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial mm, Killer yeah. um, which came a lot later I think 86, 87 but again that was at the time I remember that being a similarly um, moral panicky type Oh, it's thing because it's people felt these things had no moral code. That was the thing they felt like that. Why do we need to see things from that perspective? Exactly. Was, was what uh, no. people were saying. Right? Um, another <laughs> one know. was uh, Man Bites Dog. I remember that. That's right. Yeah, uh, coming out at the time, which was which was a great film. But oh, know. but again, yeah, they, they were yeah. quite shocked. I think that you know that this had no apparent 
uh, moral, you know, it appeared moral to be compass. condoning. It did, they, yeah, these people were not apparently explicitly condemned. But of course, the, one of the biggest things is that people who make those comments never saw the film and never yeah. see the films in the first place, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but Tom, yes. uh, Tom McNaughton, who, who made. Um, I think I'm getting names wrong here, but John McNaughton. John McNaughton, thank you. John McNaughton, who made uh, Henry Portrait of a, of a Serial Killer, he went on to do a film called The Borrower, which that's was essentially. Correct. Have you seen The Borrower? No, I haven't seen it, but you're that's worth. You're telling that's, you it was correct. This well, is worth. No, it's IMDb knowledge. This is worth <laughs> tracking uh, tracking down because although the first uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is also, it's a, it's a. I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's, it's incredible the way that it blurs the lines between kind of fiction and, and reality. There's a certain shot in there which is one of my favourite pieces of camera work from, from any film that, with the, the kind of comment that he makes is that the scene is you're watching um, this kind of tableau of, of them breaking into a house and, and, and attacking the mother and hitting the child and so on. And as, it seem, as the scene plays out, the camera tracks back uh, and you are then in between the two attackers. Sorry, um, you're then in between the two attackers and uh, and you're watching it with them. So you, you've you gone from being a, you're kind of an active mm. voyeur. So it's always very interesting. And that's, I mean, again, that is something that lends itself so well to this whole format, doesn't it? Or at least the watching at home. Because you course. are, you know, you, you know this sense of, of transgressiveness. And as you say, also coming back, there's been a resurgence in this, you know, there's been horror films recently called VHS that yes. are about this idea to, of, yeah. you know, finding these tapes... They're not online. You don't know what's on them. You you know who's recorded it. Yep, all of that sort of stuff. You watch it at home, and then you know, ooh, you know what's what's this going to be about? It could be a one-off. It could have been recorded here in this house, yes. <laughs> and all that stuff. Because of course we had video cameras as well. That was another thing that people um, again for for the benefit of. Um, Cara and Karis and any other young people listening video cameras used to be what we called phones now um, <laughs> except they weren't as good and they were bigger and heavier the size of Bulgaria basically <laughs> yes, and, you had to, and you had to pay for the tapes and then, but you could you know, record children's birthday parties and weddings and things on them uh, if you had very strong shoulders or more sinister things if that was your well, well maybe you could uh, anyway there um, were also weirdly enough you, you talk about video or, or that kind of tape there were a, um, a whole host of films that were recorded direct to, uh, to video as opposed to going through any kind of um, film camera or, or any kind of uh, celluloid there's a particularly a film called GBH which was totally funded by this uh, network of London gangsters and that's all shot very poorly um, on, on, on video but it's also got quite a kind of a cult, uh, a cult following it's something that I know Viva VHS Del Lloyd um, who's uh, quite synonymous with the, the medium he's got, got a lot of time for that film so yeah, it's very interesting. So what was the difference then? You, is it, was it incredibly cheap relatively? Because you didn't need the film cameras and stuff. Exactly, yeah. It was massively cheap. The um, um, theatrical release or ma- shooting a film on, 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 on film and then going to VHS was a nice way of reaching a big audience. But shooting on video and then going to VHS was just, you know, it cost kind of pennies as, a, as opposed to millions or hundreds of thousands. Uh, so we're, we're seeing a kind of second wave of this now, I suppose, in the fact that people can make their own films mm-hmm. at home now with literally their phones and so forth. You know, all of the, even the production costs of VHS has gone. There was a film out last year, I've forgotten, that was uh, filmed entirely on iPhones. Mm. Tangerine. 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 Tangerine, yeah. yeah, yeah. Infamously, yeah. Mm. Totally, yeah. I think it's, uh, it, it, it's not really down to the, 
to the uh, the channel of production. I think it's just down to the concept. If you think back to 1999 and the Blair Witch Project mm. and the kind of business that they did that did it. I think at the time it's the biggest selling independent um, um, horror production since 1978 when Halloween came out. Uh, so under hundred thousand pounds. Yeah, 20, it was made pounds. on. It was made for nothing, wasn't yeah. it? Really. Yeah. Um, um, we're going to. Um, we're coming to the last sort of ten, fifteen minutes of the show. I want to squeeze in another track. Want to play um, a track called Nightmares, or is that the band? Uh, Nightmares is the track, and uh, the band's Sea Spot Run from um, the film uh, Fred Decker's Night of the Creeps. Ah, oh, fantastic. Nightmares by C-Spot Run from Night of the Creeps. That was Night of the Creeps, wasn't it? Night of the Creeps, yeah, directed by Fred Decker. Uh, it's this kind of uh, 50s uh, a kind of pastiche film with, with a lot of 80s teen elements yeah. to it. But it's, uh, it's essentially a, a zombie film with these little kind of slug grubs that infest and get into your mouth and kind of control you. But to do with uh, all of a sudden prom night and stuff, isn't uh, it? it? Uh, yes, very much so. Um, we have the... I'm not sure if we read this earlier. Did we read the Night of the Creeps tagline? I think we did. What was it? It was the uh, the good news is that your date is here. The bad news is he's dead. Oh, it's a very good one. That's always mm-hmm. <laughs> always a yeah, problem. Yeah, stars Tom Atkins is in there. He's got kind of a, a great kind of genre character actor. Yeah, well worth your time as well. That's another little little gem. Not part of the video nasty uh, um, um, era, but definitely one of the better uh, horror films of the eighties. We uh, we talked about that actually that film on our zombie special, which is if you are interested in this type of thing, do go back to our mix cloud and look at all our old shows. We have done a horror special before, um, we've also done one specifically about the zombie genre, um, and there's uh, lots of interesting stuff on there. So do go to our website, go to brumradio.com, have a look at all our old shows, and have a look at all the other shows on Brum Radio as well because there are some good ones, um, lots of good ones. They're all good. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, now uh, we've only got a small amount uh, left of the show so we want to quickly talk about the end of vhs do you still can you still buy them not anymore now the 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 last actual vhs to um didn't want to have, trying to have a guess the last film to be to be uh, uh distributed and and and, and built it's a david cronenberg Ju- film oh. crash existence 2005 oh history of violence very good Yes, oh. which well, I was bringing out to of Cronenberg. <laughs> <laughs> as I was writing that down today, it kind of fitted in with the with the birth of it as well. This idea of you know it being a, a history of, of I hadn't realised it gone on that long. Mm. Yeah, pretty much. So, pretty much. And so. can you still get blank tapes? You can. You yeah, can buy them. in uh, in charity shops, oh. and uh, now I think Tesco do still tell, and uh, they're quite pricey now. If you want to use anything, Gosh. I actually I made a uh, music video about two three years ago. And um, we shot it on DV cam, and then I edited it in Final Cut Pro, exported it, put it onto DVD, copied it to video, and then went back through the process to get it back onto the computer, and it was, it was glorious. But it just literally no one would have been able to see what was going on. It was a detriment to the whole film, <laughs> to the whole, <laughs> the whole piece that we'd shot. Um, but yeah, and there's some interesting little stats uh, that I found out. There's a fantastic uh, website, I just want to reference this guy. Um, and uh, deathbyfilms.com a guy called Paul Edwards uh, where I've got a lot of these little kind of uh, tidbits from today it's a fascinating article about the boom of VHS and then it's kind of it's, uh, it's u- ultimate demise um, but the, he talks about in 2001 there was enough uh, VHSs created in that year to go from the earth to the moon 978 times so that was the kind of the peak boom of, of, of VHS distribution that's amazing that yeah. is <laughs> it's quite something. Um, so, um, thank you, everyone, um, for your time. We really uh, enjoyed your tweets. We really enjoyed hearing about your your first ever video shops that you're you're 
creepy little um, corners with the horror films in <laughs> um, all of the uh, the tapes you had I remember getting a, a VHS copy of uh, Clockwork Orange when it was not uh, permitted Ooh, yes, uh, yes. in this country but you could get it from it was imported from it had Dutch subtitles I remember <laughs> um, and there was all of that stuff it was all that handing around stuff and then that's where copies of course you of get the, of the myth yeah. of the snuff movie people felt that these things were being handed around it was just a very different era I mean we, we're, we're used to it now but this idea um, that you that these films were happening outside of the the remit of the big studios and the big cinema chains was was very very new very much at the so. time and as you say quite frightening potentially to these to both the moral arbiters and also the commercial arbiters yes I think that it's also it's interesting especially the medium that we're using today to talk about this uh, you can look at the the the, the birth of um, uh, horror. VHS, sorry, sorry, in the UK, and liken it to uh, John Peel and so on doing the pirate radio. It, it, the, the birth of uh, horror gave new voices. Gave, you know, a lot of people came to the forefront who couldn't afford to to uh, release films or get films to an audience. Mm. So very much like Radio Luxembourg with the pirate radio, giving you, you know, all these new bands that you'd never heard of before from across the seas, European bands and American bands. Mm. VHS did that also in the early 80s. Fantastic. Well, we are coming to the end of the show, but don't worry, we are going to be, you can listen to this again on a mixed cloud. We're going to be up there soon. You can listen to the show again. And we will also have an extended podcast featuring an extended interview with uh, Graham Humphreys, um, who, as we know, was an artist who designed a lot of these covers and has some really interesting stories to tell and some interesting experiences as well. You won't get the full 10 minute Wakeman treatment. You will not get the full 10 minute wait treatment. It's about 30. Um, not while there's, 13 minutes. there's breath in my 30 body. minutes. I think it's about 30 minutes. Um, okay, 30 those minutes. Those things are available <laughs> on other formats. Um, can I thank, uh, first of all, um, Cara and Karis, our producers uh, in the studio. Thank you very much for coming and listening to this. Well, the geeky conversations all about blood and gore and all the rest of it and basically technology which you find utterly bewildering um, thank you of course to Tim here in the studio Barber um, or Carver uh, Barber or Carver um, thank you to uh, Graham Humphreys um, for kind of giving us the interview and also giving us the um, the booklet I don't think we have a winner for that I don't think we've had a winner so what we'll have to do is we'll have to launch a separate competition um, for that so this is still potentially up for grabs if you do <laughs> if you are listening to this now and you realise you haven't entered and you could uh, and you did know who those uh, those insert, those clips were then now's your chance uh, but uh, once we're off air that will be closed and we will reopen it it was too hard uh, and of course it's a very good prize though so I had to make it I could make it too easy it, was, it is a good prize and it's a beautiful looking uh, looking document um, and um, um, of course a very big thank you to uh, Damien Hyde for coming in and sharing all of your expertise and experience with us it's been fascinating thank you very much um, thank you for us we really you. enjoyed it I hope you all have at home as well um, and our final track that we're going to play out with this was a request wasn't it do you want to introduce this one for us oh yes this is something that that uh, Graham Humphreys uh, asked for personally. It's uh, it's from The Exorcist 2, um, which doesn't really link much to, to what we've been speaking about today, apart from the first film, you know, being so infamous and also the VHS of that not coming out until uh, uh, the early noughties or something like that. Um, but it's a song called Magic and Ecstasy by Ennio Morricone. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please consider joining our listener supporters. You can do this by clicking the support tab on our website or go direct to Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Brum Radio. 
Brum Radio shows are streamed online at the Brum Radio Mixcloud page, and you can find more podcasts at brumradio.com.